0: Good morning, Church. I'm seeing faces. We haven't seen (laughs) them awesome. (laughs) So I'm Jason Henry. I am one of the teaching elders here. And I get to close out the section of judges covering Gideon. Now, we're going through two chapters today, folks. So hang on. There's seat belts attached to the chairs. Buckle up. We're going to go for quite a journey here. I wanted to start by just kind of covering again, go back to when Andrew initially started talking to us, when we kicked off the series of Judges. Judges 17.6 says, Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Okay, so they lost sight of God. They did what was right in their own eyes. And if you look at the, the cycle that Andrew talked about that you will see go through today, It starts with there's peace in the land. Everybody's serving the Lord, they're honoring the Lord, there's peace in the land. Then they start to serve other gods. So it could be idols, but they're serving other gods. Okay? When that happens, judgment comes, they're oppressed, they cry out, and God delivers another judge. Comes up. And the cycle just keeps repeating itself. Now, as we go through. the the back story, the back end of of Gideon here. The one thing that I found really interesting in going through this is uh, Judd certainly talked the first week, Matt talked the second week. I think most of you are probably familiar with those stories. I think you will be surprised at, do you remember what Paul Harvey always used to say? You're going to get the rest of the story today. There was another part of Gideon's life that you're gonna to to kind of think about, boy. What kind of legacy did Gideon leave? Okay. So back to I just want to do a quick recap of Jud's time. So Judd talked a lot about the character of Gideon. So what was he? What was he like? And if you remember in the first part, an angel came to Gideon and said, "The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." And really, God was calling Gideon into what he was going to become. Okay? So that was taking place. Gideon, in fear, started making pleas to the Lord. Right? He was pretty timid. He was making pleas to the Lord. Lord responded to him. He's, he called him. He equipped him. And Gideon started with leadership in his own town, hometown. So he went back to his hometown. And the, the largest thing he did back then was he broke the Asherah pole, which was an idol. And he broke the altar. Now there's going to be significance in that as I talk about the back half of of Gideon's life here. And, And when he broke that altar, they renamed him Jeroboam. And what that meant was that was an altar to Baal, so they said, we're going to call you Jeroboam, which means let Baal contend with him. So you broke an idol. We're going to let Baal deal with this. This isn't something we have to do. We'll let Baal deal with it. Okay. And Jud left us with, The power of the Holy Spirit is in us, and we need to say yes. We need to say yes to him. Okay? So fast forward to last week. Matt uh, did the sermon last week on Judges 7. And if you remember Judges 7, that is when uh, they were outnumbered. Gideon had an army. They were outnumbered 300 to 135,000. God kept challenging Gideon, saying, I've got this. You don't need a a bunch of troops. So Matt did a great job of saying, you know, our outward worship gives us the strength, gives us that alignment with God to be able to do big things, to be able to do major, major things. And when they entered battle, they entered battle without swords, um, they entered battle with their trumpet under their arm, with their jars to break, um, they entered battle like that, and it really showed up, even though all these worldly things were against him, God was with them. And through that, they could could win the the battle. And that's kind of closing takeaway was we need to restore the altar of worship in order to to lead in the kingdom, okay? So let me me jump into then where we're going today. So, So the segment that I'm going to talk about is I'm going to talk about the legacy that Gideon left. And when we think of legacy, we... We not only think of ourselves personally as we're going through it, but it's the generations that follow. So I'm going to paint a picture through scripture of the legacy that he left. But I want to start actually back in Judges 7. And I'm not sure if anybody caught this, but as things were kind of wrapping up, this comes from Judges 7.20, his army, so imagine these 300 that are with him, they said to him, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. And I'm going to say they just raised Gideon up to a place he was never meant to be. Okay. And did raising him up to that level get in his head? I think that's what you're going to see as we go through his legacy here. So let's start with uh, with Judges eight. And I actually want to show a I want to show a map here just to give you a little context before we get started. So there is a circle where you see all the purple lines pointing. There's a circle there. That is where the battle took place with the 300. Okay? So once that battle took place and was done, Midianites are fleeing. Okay? So we didn't get them all taken care of there. They start fleeing. So they're they're moving south. So when when chapter 8 kicks off, It's on his journey south. So I'm just going to read a few scripture relative to that. The first, just starting in chapter 8, it says, Now the Ephraimites asked Gideon, Why have you treated us like this? Why did you call us when you went to fight Midian? Or why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they challenged him vigorously, but he answered them. So they wanted to be part of the conquering the Midianites, Right? So they were probably probably abused by the Midianites. They wanted to be part of the war that conquered the Midianites. And they're saying, hey, why didn't you involve us? And they're they're mad about it. They're irritated about it. So they challenged him, and he answered them, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Abiezar? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands, what was I able to do compared to you? And with this, their resentment subsided. So these guys are irritated, they're pushing on, they're pushing on Gideon, saying, Why didn't you include us? Gideon shifts the focus to them and says, You got what you wanted. And this wasn't by me, this was by God. He is the one that allowed this to, to happen. So his response, that gentle word response, settled them down. Okay? So how do you think Gideon's doing so far? It's doing pretty good, right? This is the interactive part of this program. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So he's doing, he's doing good. So let's go back to the map. So he is now, he's pushing down to the south and he's gonna cross the Jordan. You can see where that line is crossing the Jordan. And imagine these guys are in battle. They've just left battle. They're moving towards, they're pursuing other people. They're hungry, they're thirsty. They need, they need recharge. So that is the context for this next piece of scripture that I'm going into. So they come into, into Sukkot first. They're at, uh, their army is asking for bread and, and for water. And it says here, but the officials of Sukkot said, do you already have the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna in your possession? Why should we give bread to your troops? So... They are saying, so imagine, these guys have been fighting with them for a long time. They are saying, I'm not giving you anything until I know you've got these two. Because if you don't get them, they're coming back to get us. So you do what you say you're going to do, and then we'll help you out, okay? Now listen to what Gideon's response is to this. So then Gideon replied, just for that. When the Lord has given Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. Was that a gentle response like the first one? Not so much. So he is getting pretty, pretty angry. He's getting pretty frustrated here. Okay, so now again back to the map. Now he is moving to the right again and he's going into Peniel. So, he, so the scripture says, from there he went up to Peniel and made the same request of them. So he's asking again for food and water from them. But they answered as the men of Sukkoth had. <laughs> so he said to the men of Peniel, when I return in triumph, I will tear down this, this tower. Okay? Again. Not a good response. Things are are going down. So so you can see, you can hear the anger, the frustration that's coming out on him that he wants to take out on on the others, okay? So we're going to move to Judges 8.18. So by this time, they've captured Ziba and Zemunah, okay? Now he is back in front of these groups, And and the scripture says, Then he asked Ziba and Zalunah, What kind of men did you kill at Tabor? Men like you, they answered, Each one with the bearing of a prince. Gideon replied, Those were my brothers, the sons of my own mother. As surely as the Lord lives, If you had spared their lives, I would not kill you. Turning to Jether, his older son, he said, Kill them. But Jether did not draw his sword because he was only a boy and he was afraid. Zebat and Zelunna said, Come on, do it yourself. As is the man, so is his strength. So Gideon stepped forward and he killed them. Okay? So Midianites killed his brothers. He took out vengeance. Now, the, the significance here is at that time, the law would have been administered by local officials. So what did Gideon do? He took the law into his own hands, okay? Again, he's making it about him. He's pouring it back to him. Now, at the, at the end, it says, so Gideon stepped forward, killed them, and he took the ornaments off from the camel's necks. So these ornaments were actually the ornament of a crescent moon. They were honoring a moon god. So this is significant in the symbolism that you'll see just these little chunks show up. So he's going to take these ornaments off of the camels, and he's going to use them later. So let's move to verse 22. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Indian. Okay, so Israelites are saying, Gideon, you did it. Rule over us, be our our king, right? And Gideon's response is, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you, the Lord will rule over you, okay? I'm going to say, boy, that's a, he's he's back to himself, right? (laughs) He's put the Lord first, he's back to himself. That very quickly changes, okay? So the next statement says, I do have one request. Each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. And at that time, it was customary for them to wear earrings. So he's just saying, each of you give me an earring. What is he doing? He's taxing them. He is seeing himself as a king. He's saying, hey, we did this. Go ahead. Give us us money. Give Give us gold. Give us stuff. Right? So that thing shifted again. So go to uh, chapter or, uh, verse 27. What he did with that goal was he made it into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his, his hometown. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So let's show a picture of an ephod. Here is what an ephod is. So an ephod was typically represented the high priest would wear this, okay? There was a lot of symbolism inside of it. So not only did Gideon say, give me your stuff, give me your gold, he created an ephod, which he took back to his hometown. So he's not only saying, I'm king, give me your stuff, he's saying, I'm high priest. And he put this in the town for for something for them to worship. He created an idol. And what was made up of that ephod were the things like ornaments from... Um, that were off the camels. It was the earrings. It was those things. So again, lots of lots of symbolism in that. The ephod was made out of forty-three pounds of gold. So this was a, this was a big deal. Okay. So the chapter ends. Chapter eight ends. Uh, I'm going to start reading it at verse thirty-three. No sooner had Gideon died. Then the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. So remember the Baals. Let's go back to where, where Judge started. The Baals were really worshiping a, a different God. They were worshiping Baal. And it was a lot of there was a lot of sexual stuff inside of inside of that. So they are, they are pointing them back or they are going back towards the Baals. They set up baal Bereath as their God and did not remember that the Lord was their God. So they shifted. There was peace in the land, now they shifted. They're looking at idols again. They also failed to show any loyalty to the fam- family of Jeroboam. So remember, Jeroboam is Gideon. In spite of all of the things he had done for them. So, that is chapter 8. How did Gideon do? He's not doing so good, is he? So, he dies at the end of chapter 8, and remember, our topic is his legacy. What did he leave behind that? So, as we break into chapter 9, we're going to talk about a couple of his sons, And I say a couple of his sons because, man, this guy had a slew of boys in his house. He had 70 wives who bared him 70 sons. Okay? He had one son to a slave, to a concubine of of his. And that's really what a lot of this chapter is about, is that son. And his name is Abimelech. And Abimelech was named, uh, Gideon named him, and his name means my father the king okay so Gideon's saying no let the Lord rule over you but he's naming his son my father is the king really some some pretty serious contrasting there now in chapter 9 the name Gideon is never referred to again it is Jeroboam so imagine the setting in this is this Canaanite the sin filled area where they're worshiping idols, they're doing things like that. They never refer him as Gideon again. He is referred to as Jeroboam, which means he will contend with Baal, right? So we already have tension starting up up at the front. We're going to talk about the city of Shechem, which is where Abimelech's family was located at. Okay, Canaanite city, that is where a lot of this activity is going to take place. And the significance of his, his, the fact that he was a child of a concubine puts him at the bottom of any inheritance that's going to take place. So those other 70 brothers get priority over what Abimelech gets. And one of the 70 brothers, another character that's going to show up, his name is Jotham, or Jotham. And what his name means is Yahweh is perfect. God is perfect. So he's got one son who says, my father the king, and he's got another one who says, Yahweh is perfect. I Think there's going to be a little battle coming up? <laughs> so let me start um, chapter 9 here. It says, Abimelech, son of Jeroboam, went to his mother's brothers in Shechem, and said to to them and all of his mother's clans, ask all the citizens of Shechem which is better for you. Okay, so he's went back, he's talking to all these people, and he says, which is better, to have all 70 of Jeroboam's sons rule over you, or just one man? Remember, I am flesh and blood. So Abimelech is really leaning into his family, saying, hey, support me don't support these other seventy they need to go, right? so he's trying to lift himself up and then it says, verse 3, when the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem they were inclined to follow Abimelech for they said, he is related to us they gave him seventy shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Berith, and Abimelech used it to hire reckless scoundrels who became his followers. So he got money from them. Now he used that to go out and get people to help him, right? And what he's trying to do is he's trying to lift himself up. Okay, so he took that money, hired people, and in verse 5, here's what he did with that. He went to his father's home in Ophrah and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jeroboam. So a couple symbolism things inside of this. If you go back to when Judd spoke, one of the things Gideon does was he broke the altar, the stone that was there that was honoring Baal. Now what Abimelech did was he brought all of his sons to one stone and he murdered them all. Okay. So significance, significance with that. This is where Jotham shows up. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, escaped by hiding. Then all of the citizens of Shechem and Beth-Mile gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech the king. So we've got one son that's escaped in Jotham. All these others are dead. Now the, the area they are crowning, they're calling Abimelech their king, right? He is conquered. So when Jotham is told about this, he climbed up to the top of Mount Gerizim and he shouted to them. And I will tell you, I had a really hard time getting my mind around going to the top of a mountain and having anybody hear me. right? So I, I actually pulled a picture up. This is an example of what that would look like. So they say that the area that he was in was actually surrounded by a mountain. so it was a valley. So it was almost like an amphitheater. So imagine he has escaped up here. He is speaking down to all of the people that are that are in this, in this valley. And they can all hear it. And here is, here is what he said. And, and what he said is actually the first parable you ever see show up in the Bible. Okay, we always see Jesus use a lot of parables. This would be a parable that shows up in the Old Testament. And he says, listen to me, citizens of Shechem. So that God may listen to you. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, Be our king. But the olive tree answered, Should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees? Next the trees said to the fig tree, Come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, Should I give up my fruit, so good and sweet, to hold sway over the trees? Then the trees said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered, Should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and humans, to hold sway over the trees? So finally we get to the last part. And he said to the thorn bush, Come and be our king. So, I want, you, I want you to picture the symbolism here. So, all of these things he's talked to to this time, they all have a purpose. A thorn bush is way down here. And a thorn bush doesn't do much more than create fire and create wounds and pains and sores and, and things like that. So, he says to the thorn, they say to the thorn bush, Come be our king. The thorn bush replied back to the trees, If you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. How much shade is in a thorn bush? Not, not much at all, right? But if not, let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. So what Jotham is saying to everybody is, you are gonna lower yourself to the leader. And that leader is a thorn bush, okay? you are going to be impacted by choosing this way down here. So verse 16 picks up with, he's continuing to talk here, Have you acted honorably in good faith by making Abimelech king? Have you been fair to Jeroboam and his family? Have you treated him as he deserves? Remember that my father fought you and risked his life to rescue you from the hand of Midian. But today you have revolted against my father's family. You've murdered his 70 sons on a single stone, and you have made Abimelech the son of his female slave, king over the citizens of Shechem, because he is related to you. So have you acted honorably and in good faith towards Jeroboam and his family today? If you have, may Abimelech be your joy, and may you be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from you, the citizens of Shechem Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. So he is certainly, he's up on this mountain, he's speaking down into this amphitheater, he is creating a stir, right? So you can guess, people are probably not outwardly opposing Abimelech but man they have something planted in the back of their mind so you start seeing a little bit of a little bit of upheaval maybe taking place so verse 22 says after Abimelech had governed for governed Israel for three years and remember this is not quite true he has governed Shechem he's not governed all of Israel he's declared himself king of the area of Shechem God stirred up animosity between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem so that they acted treacherously against Abimelech. Okay, so Jotham gets this speech to get them stirred up. God sent spirits to get them stirred up. Okay. God did this in order that the crime against Jeroboam's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the sons of Shechem, who had helped him murder his brother. Okay, so stage is set. He's declared himself king. We've got all of the stir going around. Things are getting wound up. People are starting to go against Abimelech now. So what's his response going to be to that? So verse, verse 50 starts with, Next Abimelech went to Thebes and besieged it and captured it. So he is, he is out to conquer. He is out at the city, he's besieging it, he's capturing it, he's going after the people. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all the men and women, all the people of that city, had fled. So he's coming into the city, all of these people flee to this tower and they go up in, they go up in the tower. They lock themselves in, they climbed up on the tower roof, And Abimelech knows they're there. He goes to that tower and he attacks it. As he approached the entrance of the tower to set it on fire. So you can imagine if you set a tower on fire, there's going to be no way out. Everybody up at the top is going to be be gone. So he, he approaches the tower to set it on fire. And a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. So let's show a picture of a millstone. So this is a millstone. So imagine there's a woman up on, the top, up on the roof of this tower that heaves this millstone over the edge. Do you see the symbolism in the stone? So it says the stone cracked his skull. Okay? He is being brought back to where Gideon started at the stone. Okay? So verse 54 says, Hurriedly he called to his armor bearer so the millstone didn't kill him but he knows he's going to die from it so he calls his armor bearer draw your sword and kill me so they can't say a woman killed him so his pride is still such that he's saying you got to kill me before i die from this stone okay so a servant ran through him and he died When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all of their wickedness, and the curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came on to them. So if you think about just all the different symbolism as the story built out, so that is really the end of the end of Gideon's story, right? The symbolism of it starts with a broken altar, a stone, ends with this son who is extremely treacherous, evil, mean, dying from a stone. So interesting to see how those things are connected and I think it, it just shows, you know, we reap what we sow. God keeps things even, right? He brought things around to even. And as I, as I sat in this and processed, processed the scripture, I landed in 2 Timothy, when Paul is at the end of his life. And Paul says, i fought a good fight, i finished the race, I've kept the faith. Gideon's life, he started by fighting the good fight. He didn't finish the race. Right? He could probably see, the, probably see the line from where he was at, but he did not finish. He did not finish the race. And it gets me, gets me to thinking personally, and my challenge for all of you is: how are we finishing the race? If we look at Gideon's story, Gideon was here. He was aligned with God he had faith he went to the Lord when things were difficult Um, he accepted what the Lord challenged him in and he stepped forward with courage right we are called last time I spoke I talked about you know we are called to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves so let's talk about we love God Are we aligned to what God has in store for us? Do we love him? Do we connect with him on a regular basis? That will manifest itself in the relationships that we have. Right? So how do we take that out of this room? How do we interact with our neighbors? It's interesting in in a world of masks and COVID and All of these things, when they tell us we can't be six feet apart, that gives us a challenge to say, how can we still love our neighbors as ourselves? How can we step out of here and connect with people when we're being told the world is telling us you can't be around others? It's not what the Lord is telling us. How do we step into that? So if the uh, worship team can come up here, Think about we are called to serve God. We're all called to serve him. And his love for us is relentless. He will never stop pursuing us. But we've got to do our part and take it. Right? And apply it out to apply it out to others. Let me pray. Father God, Lord, you give us so many beautiful examples of your hand at work. Lord, you gave us the word. Lord, I pray that we are in it. Lord, I pray that we use it as a vehicle to grow closer to you. And Lord, as we do that, we can take our closeness out relate with others. Lord, that we can love our neighbors well. Lord, Gideon's Gideon's story is one of faithful obedience. It's one of courage. It's one of him wanting to honor you. But Lord, like many of us, he, he lost his way. So Lord, we just pray in the name of Jesus that we can continue to stay on path. We can continue to stay on mission from you. And Lord, that those things that are not of you, Lord, that they can be released from us so our actions can honor you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we lift you up. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.